This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a fascinating guest in our second segment today to talk about uh, the art of navigation and using natural methods, something that seems to have been forgotten in the modern world. We plan to make a phone call to the United Kingdom, where we'll speak with Tristan Gooley, author of The Natural Navigator, A Watchful Explorer's Guide to a Nearly Forgotten Skill. That's a topic near and dear to our hearts, so stay tuned for that uh, discussion in our second segment today. Let's begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. It's actually a pretty eventful day, February 10th. It was on February 10th in 1258 that Baghdad fell to the Mongol armies led by Hulegu, grandson of Genghis Khan. The conquest led to a long period of cultural, political, and economic decline in Iraq, which I suppose reminds us of the cultural, political, and economic decline currently taking place in Iraq after the invasion of George W. Bush, considered by Iraqis to be the modern-day Hulegu. And it was on February 10th in 1616, and you know, I don't know how some of these entries make it into the Today in History book that we use for most of these selections. But notes the book, the English playwright William Shakespeare's second daughter Judith married Thomas Quincy, a disreputable vintner on this date. You know, isn't even the right guy that wrote the plays. I don't know, we refer to our own archives for our discussion of the book Shakespeare by Another Name. And that being said, let's move on. On February 10th in 1667, the Royal Society of London published Nicholas Stino's classical paleontology paper, Head of a Shark Dissected. This was the first scientific paper to recognize that fossils are indeed the petrified remains of once-living organisms. On this date in 1763, the Seven Years' War... A global struggle, considered to be one of the uh, one of the many world wars, is known in America as the French and Indian War and ended in victory for Great Britain. In the Treaty of Paris, France relinquished all claims to Canada and gave Louisiana to Spain. Great Britain got Spanish Florida and Upper Canada. On February 10th in 1837, Alexander Pushkin, the great Russian poet and novelist, died from wounds he received defending his wife's honor in a duel forced on him by influential enemies two days earlier. His opponent was his brother-in-law, who turned and fired after only four paces. That wasn't a duel, that was an assassination. And it was on this date, February 10th in 1962, that American spy pilot Francis Gary Powers was released in Berlin by the Soviets in exchange for Rudolf Abel, a senior KGB spy captured in the U.S. five years earlier. Powers' U-2 plane had been shot down in 1960. Curiously, this correspondent encountered someone who was at that base when the fateful flight took place and provided me with the interesting tidbit that uh, Powers actually took off from Turkey, not Pakistan, as it says in most accounts of what happened that day. I'm hoping that my source will have more such interesting tidbits for future reference. Our quote of the day comes from Ingrid Bergman, who said, Success is getting what you want. Happiness is wanting what you get. Our quote of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said, A man in New York was arrested for stealing a garbage truck. They knew he wasn't a real garbage man because he kept stopping to pick up trash. 
Our joke of the day comes from the Dave Barry calendar, sent to us for possible use on Radio Parallax. And use of it we are making, to quote from uh, Dave Barry's comments from January 28th of this year's calendar. Be advised that a poker craze is sweeping the nation. Almost every night there are poker tournaments on television. If you think that watching people play cards on television would be boring, I have three words for you. Correcto mundo. The problem is there's not a lot of action in televised poker where the most strenuous thing a player do is push small plastic chips a distance of about 15 inches. Granted, this is more action than you see in televised golf. Said Mr. Barry, to make matters worse, poker players do not betray their feelings. So much of the time, what you have visually is a bunch of grim-faced guys sitting around a table looking like a hemorrhoid support group. Most of the emotion is supplied by the TV commentators who in hushed, dramatic tones say things like, He's thinking about what to do here, Bob. Or, you know, you know that inside, he's churning with emotions, Bob. Or, I'm sure glad I took powerful methamphetamine before this broadcast, Bob. Our stat of the day is that according to public policy polling, opinions on the reliability of Fox News are shifting. 46% of Americans now say they do not trust Fox News as a news source, whereas 42% say they do. Last year, 49% trusted Fox and 37% did not. This year's most trusted TV news source was PBS with 50%. All right, let's jump to the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Frank Buckles, the last surviving World War I veteran. He turned 110 last week. About 4.7 million American doughboys served in that war. Buckles has outlived them all. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for U.S. Representative and former Radio Parallax guest Dennis Kucinich after the congressman sued the company that runs the house cafeteria saying that a sandwich wrap he bit into contained an olive pit that broke six of his teeth and required multiple surgical and dental procedures. I gotta say, I'm no dentist, but busting six teeth on an olive pit? Congressman Kucinich, come on! Apparently, the representative from Ohio and former presidential candidate quickly settled the lawsuit for an undisclosed sum. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for terrorism, with the news that a suicide bomber planning an attack in Moscow was blown to bits when an unexpected text message to a cell phone attached to the bomb detonated it. The message was from her phone server provider wishing her a happy new year. All right, we have an item from the Only in America file, which I just can't resist. Apparently last week, according to police in Wilmington, Delaware, A man broke into a house, got drunk, and couldn't make his way back outside. So, he called 911 for help. According to the story, John Finch, 44, was trapped in the home in part because he'd broken into it before, back in April. That led the homeowner to change the lock so that the key was required even inside. So this time, when Finch broke in and stayed for a few days drinking five bottles of whiskey, 
When he tried to leave, he was too drunk to climb back out of the window, so he called 911. He was then arrested. And from the Only in America file part two, how about this one? Article from last month from the Chicago Tribune by Michael O'Neill. Just when you thought it was safe to wash your hands and check for things between your teeth in peace, an offshoot of Clear Channel Communications, Inc. has found a way to serve up advertising in the bathroom mirror. Note of the article, the mirrors in your home are still off limits, but a unit of Clear Channel Outdoor said it is teamed with a North Carolina company called Miris to turn select bathroom mirrors at O'Hare International Airport into interactive billboards. Over the next three months, these two wonderful companies are going to start rolling out 150 40-inch mirrors in select restrooms. This mirror technology displays video or still ads across the whole mirror when no one's standing in front of the sink. But as soon as someone approaches to wash their hands or fix their hair, the ad shrinks into a corner. Out of the way, sort of. Said Mirror's founder Brian Reed, the ad placements are by definition gender-specific and tied into a network so they can be switched automatically within seconds across as many venues as mirrors can install. And the mirrors will allow the advertisers to keep watch. A sensor counts, quote, impressions, unquote, of how many people stood in front of the sink and for how long looking at the ad. You know, why stop at the mirror? Why not put this right in the stalls? Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I remain in favor of the death penalty in certain cases. And by the way, that opinion, like all the ones heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. All of whom we suspect, by the way, would like to just wash their hands in peace. Anyway, since we're not in China right now, let's talk about Egypt. We should note that with the hubbub currently going on in Egypt, Chinese internet censors have blocked online discussions of the pro-democracy demonstrations going on. If you're in China and you try and follow what's going on in Egypt, a message pops up saying, according to relevant laws, regulations, and policies, the search results are not shown. We're hoping to bring you a first-hand report of someone who, uh, who's been to the People's Republic of China lately and, and um, didn't have such a good time. Oh, and, and by the way, sounding off on this whole issue of what's going on in Egypt was former Vice President Dick Cheney, who, while in the... Reagan Ranch Center in Santa Barbara to commemorate the centennial of Ronald Reagan's birth said, Hosni Mubarak is a friend to the United States. Cheney warned the president administration against pushing Mubarak too hard in public. He said there's a reason why a lot of diplomacy is conducted in secret. Well, I guess he would know about that. As for expert opinions from the former vice president, keep in mind, this is a guy that assured us that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. But no, uh, the, the Arab world um, seems to be demanding change right now in the wake of um, the uprising that took place in Tunisia. We're seeing protests now in Yemen and Egypt. But um, sadly, apparently the Egyptian government was able to cut its citizens off from the Internet uh, with, um, with ease. According to New Scientist magazine, at 22.30 GMT on the 27th of January, the Egyptian government basically cut itself off of the Internet just as people took to the streets. According to the magazine, Egypt was isolated from the rest of the Internet by making changes in a system known as the Border Gateway Protocol, BGP, which Internet service providers use to connect to each other's networks. 
The government ordered the country's ISPs to alter their BGP configuration to cut the links to other networks. Technically, this is a very simple thing to do, said Rick Ferguson of the California-based firm Trend Micro. Reportedly savvy Egyptians, assisted by online activists, are still finding ways to access the web. It remains possible to use Egypt's old dial-up networks to access ISPs outside the country, and from there, the rest of the internet. A group called We Rebuild is digging out details of how to do this and passing them on to people in Egypt. Now, our bonus stat for today is that Egypt gets more U.S. foreign aid than any other country with the exception of Israel. In fact, the two are linked as part of the peace agreement that goes back to Jimmy Carter. The U.S. has been sending an average of $2 billion in cash and military arms to Egypt every year since 1979. Unfortunately, uh, Hosni Mubarak and his ruling party has uh, apparently kept the lion's share of of those funds. Egypt has been a stable country for quite some time, but uh, as reports have been revealing to the rest of the world, their secret police uh, operating everywhere have stifled dissent. And there is a fair amount of dissent because, like I say, a ruling elite has been controlling the country for quite some time. So us, the U.S. government, that is, uh, has to now decide between continuing to support this regime as as it has done for decades or, um, you know, how... Change can be brought about in a controlled way that will lead to more democracy and a fairer form of governance. Tricky transition, but uh, this correspondent's cautiously optimistic that uh, Egypt's going to do okay. For an excellent discussion on this issue, we would refer you to the Insight program on Capital Public Radio, which in its first segment on Friday covered this topic extremely well. For our part, we're going to try and bring some, uh, some special guests on in the weeks to come to talk about what is uh, unfolding over in Egypt, and we are looking forward to doing that. We have to mention that uh, this month uh, marks the 100th anniversary of the birth of Ronald Reagan. And I must say, uh, I find it rather strange to, to see how the debate is being framed. A lot of people on the left side of the fence think Reagan was just, just god-awful. Of course, to conservatives, he's a saint. The real Reagan, of course, was, shall we say, somewhere in between. Gotta say, for my my part, taking a look at uh, what Bush Cheney did for eight years, Ronald Reagan doesn't look too bad. And that's even if you're critical, uh, as I am, of his uh, defense buildup. As we mentioned this program before, uh, mad scientist Edward Teller convinced Ronald Reagan that the Star Wars defense system was something that could be developed from off-the-shelf technology. This was completely and utterly false. And although Teller certainly was in his own way a genius, uh, this was not one of his uh, finer legacies. Like the quote from Walter Shapiro in politicsdaily.com said, maybe we liberals were too harsh about Reagan in the 1980s, but it's 21st century conservatives who have airbrushed the man's record, his eight budget deficits, his abject retreat from Lebanon following the 1983 bombing of the U.S. Marine barracks, his secret and illegal sale of arms to Iran's mullahs. Most of all, conservatives would prefer to forget that after slashing taxes in 1981, Reagan raised them. Twice. Were we on the scene today, Reagan's tax realism alone would likely lead to his denunciation as a rhino, Republican in name only. I gotta say, there is something very ironic about a president who, uh, who wrote into office saying, The problem is not that you have lived too well, The problem is that the government has lived too well. 
then turning around and borrowing $200 billion to, uh, to keep funding this government, starting an era where uh, instead of um, taxing people to pay for, uh, for government services, we would just, just borrow the money. Reagan, we should note, borrowed more money than all of his predecessors combined. Of course, during Bush-Cheney, and, and Dick Cheney was famous for once saying, Reagan has proven that budget deficits don't matter which then led to the federal government then borrowing more money than the previous 42 occupants of the Oval Office, including Reagan and his, red, and his record-breaking deficits. I don't know. This doesn't strike me as a terribly sensible idea, something that's not sustainable. And yet all the Republican partisans who are now out with their pitchforks and torches talking about how Obama's going to bankrupt the nation were strangely silent during the Bush-Cheney years. Have you, have you noticed this too, dear listener? I don't know, it might be time to mention, as we've done before, that yours truly was an eyewitness to Ronald Reagan's only speech given to a UC audience during his tenure as governor. He gave it in Freeborn Hall, about uh, exactly one floor above the KDVS studios. Greeting a jeering and hostile audience, he did surprisingly well. He lost the audience only twice. The one that still makes me laugh is during the Q&A, someone said, Governor Reagan, I really appreciate the way you've... Uh, tried to get the government off people's backs. But I have to ask, how do you square that with your position against any decriminalization of marijuana? Reagan earnestly looked out and said, well, research done right here at the University of California has shown that marijuana damages the chromosomes. And at that point, the audience erupted into, into a volcanic explosion of laughter. For a second or two, the normally unflappable uh, Gipper did have this deer-in-the-headlights look like, what did I say? And uh, you know, I'd be willing to bet he never did quite figure that one out. Since I am uh, trying my hand at Reagan impressions, I guess I should mention the other moment where he didn't fare so well. Someone said, Governor Reagan, why did you recently veto a bill that would have allowed birth control information to be more available to teenagers? Reagan paused and looked out and said, Whatever happened to saying no? By the way, on one of the Trivial Pursuits cards, uh, uh, not in the volumes that were so sold in America, but everywhere else, one of the questions was, How many months pregnant was Nancy Reagan when she married Ronald? The answer, apparently well substantiated by the medical evidence, was two months. Thus, we are unable to answer the Gipper's own question of, Whatever happened to saying no? You're having my baby What a lovely way of saying how much you love me You're Having my baby You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for our chat with Tristan Gooley about his book, The Natural Navigator, A Watchful Explorer's Guide to a Nearly Forgotten Skill. I can see I'm happy in knowing that you're having my baby. You're the woman I love, and I love what it's doing to you. You're having my baby. You're a woman in love, and I love what's going through you. The need inside you, I see it show. 